My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come understanding and knowledge. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that. When we get into Proverbs, we see Solomon, uh, one of God's men, speaking to his sons about life and knowing God. And that's what we're here for this morning, to know God better, to understand our world better. So to do that, how about we pray to him and ask him that he help us to understand his words. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do thank you again that, that we can meet with you this morning. We thank you that you speak to us, particularly through your word. So Lord, we just pray that your spirit be amongst us that you would reach into our hearts and our minds, Lord. We can understand you better, what it means to have a relationship with you, and then how to live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the more favourite uh, TV shows we watch as a family at home, not that we watch it that often, but it is World's Strictest Parents. Uh, we watch it for a couple of different reasons. See, what happens is uh, you meet these couple of kids. These kids are real ratbags. They're disrespectful. They've got in trouble with the law. They're drinkers. They're smokers. They do everything you wish your kid wouldn't do. And when we meet these kids and they look really bad, our kids say to us, Mum and Dad, you are so lucky to have us. <laughs> we are not like that. You know, it makes us look so good. God has so blessed you with children like us. And then you meet... The family they move into, the world's strictest parents. Uh, and then the parents, they meet them and say, look, this is how it works in our household. This is how the, it's ordered. It's respectful. This is how we uh, conduct ourselves around each other. Here are the rules, in a sense, that how we show our love and respect to each other. That's where Kim and I say, you guys are so lucky you've got parents like us. If you had parents like that, you wouldn't know what hit you. You are so fortunate. And then we watch the story together. Now, if you watch the start of the show, you see these kids come in and they're, they're real ratbags. And then if you watch the end of the show, they come out and they're changed people. They're respectful, they're honest, uh, they, they fit in with the rest of the family. And when it goes to say goodbye, they're actually in tears hugging the parents. 
their adopted parents have been with for a week as they leave as they leave they've been changed their whole character has changed now if you look at that and see oh, you know what's going on well it must mean running a strict household with rules and regulations that's what changes people that's what works but in actual fact if you miss the middle of the story, that's what you'll find. But you need to see the middle of the story because that's where the real heart-to-heart -heart stuff happens. Usually, in the middle of the story, it's the same every episode. I know it's reality TV and I know things just happen, but it just happens to happen every TV show, that during the week, at some point, there's some sort of crisis. The kids got into trouble and it hasn't worked out good for them. And there's some connection point with the parent where the parent has sat down with them and says, look, I understand, I, I was there myself when I was a child. There's some sort of connection point and empathy and, and reaching out. And it's from that point the relationship is established, the respect between the kid and the parent is established, and they seem to click and they get on. And it's out of that respect and out of um, understanding for each other, that's when they start saying, hey, I actually want to fit in here because I feel accepted and now my character is changing and being moulded because this person really cares for me. It's not about the rules and strictness, it's about because this, this person cares for me and wants me to live a good life out of love and concern. And that's what changes the character to get to the end. When we think of God, a lot of people think of God like watching the start and the end of the world's strictest parents. That we come into the world, we've got a God who says, look, you've got to live this way, you've got to live within my structures and order, or else, or else. And the test is, at the end, if you fit his character, if you're doing the way things, that doing things the way he wants you to, that's the test. But they've missed the whole middle about the character of God and the connection point God has with us. This is where Solomon uh, is sitting down with his boys and he says, you've got to get this connection part right because it changes everything. It changes our view of what being a Christian is, is how we view God. So it raises two questions. What makes a Christian? Is it the, just the behaviour? We've already said no. It's, it's some sort of connection with God, a relationship with God. Well, what does that relationship look like? What does a relationship with God really look like? And the second question flows out of that if it's not about behavior obeying all the rules in the end and looking like a christian if it's not about that why obey the rules why try and try hard to live a good life the right way that's a good question too see solomon's talking to his sons he knows what sons are going through this is some three thousand years ago and i can see how people's the way people think just don't change throughout time so solomon's going to teach them by showing them how God knows the world and how God knows you. But he still loves you. That's what he's going to explain. So we hit, get the scene. We see uh, Solomon. He's a man. Uh, he's the king of Israel. He's very wise, very wealthy. He's sitting down with his sons, having a heart to heart. And we're able to sit in on this conversation of what is he going to tell his sons? What's so important that he's written it down for us to read 3,000 years later? We start off by saying uh, in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, My son, he's addressing his, addressing his sons, if you accept my words and store up my commandments uh, within you. Now, this is going to be the longest conditional clause you've ever heard. If, if you do all these things, uh, something great's going to happen. 
So if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry out for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then, finally, we get the then, then what's going to happen? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's interesting that he says, look, if you do all these things, this is, this is what I want to talk to you about. Sit down with me. We're at a quiet spot around the fire and we're having this heart to heart. If you do all these things, the boy's expectations are pretty high at this stage, I think, because you know, he's the wisest man in the world, richest man in the world, king of Israel. If you do, what will happen? Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, I want you to think about what boys might be thinking about this time. There's probably teenage boys. Once they get to late teens in that, uh, that stage of life, they're, they're classed as adults. Uh, so mid-teens, these boys, what do you think they're hoping their dad would say? What do you think they're thinking about, a teenage boy? I know the guys can probably think back when I was in my mid-teens. What was I thinking about? Girls and money. We're being really serious here this morning. We're not messing around. Girls and money is what they're thinking about. Solomon can talk about girls and money. If you know Solomon, he's got over a thousand wives and concubines, which are living girlfriends. He knows about girls. He wrote the Song of Songs. He knows romance. He's the richest man in the world at that period of time, we're told. He knows how to work money. He can talk about money. He says, I'll talk about that later. You girls and money, I'll talk about that later. But this is more important. You've got to get this bit right. You understand those things by first understanding God. So if you do all these things, pursue it, chase it, you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, what does this mean, the fear of the Lord? Brad uh, did a great introduction last week. But I love C.S. Lewis's explanation in uh, The Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe when um, Aslan, the lion, is God. And God's there, like the lion is there, and uh, the, the main characters, the children, get to know Aslan the God and uh, they can walk up to him and befriend him. But one of the other characters in the story sees the lion and they're scared. The lion could eat you at any time because he's a lion. And he goes, oh, and he sees the kids standing beside the lion. Oh, so he's safe. The kids go, oh, no, he's not safe. He's not safe, but he's good. It's that tension, isn't it? That God is the creator of the universe, that the maker and the sustainer, the giver and taker of life, but yet he's good, he's just and fair. On the one hand, he can destroy cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, whole cities just destroyed because God had had enough of their sin and, and, and rejection. To Pharaoh, Pharaoh who had uh, Israel captive in slavery, just wrestled his arm and slammed him down, destroyed Egypt really, to rescue his people. This is God of the universe we're talking about. Solomon says you need to know him, not know him intimately, but know, fear him because he's the God of the universe and he controls all things. He's, he's not safe, but he's good. He's powerful. But then he goes on, uh, oh, sorry, Psalms um, gives us another helpful explanation of this. When the psalmist writes in Psalm 7, Holds that tension together. When he's talking about God, my shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. 
He'll bend and string his bow. So you get that tension. God is awesome and powerful. He controls all things. He has a right, being the creator, to run the world how he wants. Uh, But he's a good and fair judge that we can draw near to him and we can be on his team, saying, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be against him. I want to be for him. I want to be on his team. So this is where Solomon um, goes on in verse 9 when he continues uh, talking about knowing uh, the fear of the Lord. So I'm just making sure. I like this. Verse 6, isn't it? For the Lord gives wisdom... And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So if you want to know wisdom, understanding, it comes from God. You won't find it just in textbooks. You need to know God, have a connection, a relationship with God, and that's where you'll get this wisdom, knowledge and understanding. Now, it's not that God will make you smarter. I wish that was the case. Be a lot smarter than what I am today. But it's not intellectually smart, but it's, it's more like, understanding the world better it's more street smart knowing how the world operates and knowing uh, how to make good choices how to live for him how to draw near to him because we know his ways because he is the creator god and solomon talks about life being a series of paths and we get that with a lot of choices a lot of crossroads we get in life which pathway are you going to choose and there's lots of big decisions in life who you're going to marry what job or career you're going to chase after where you're going to live Lots of big decisions. But even the decisions of what you do tonight can have huge ramifications on the rest of your life. Even little decisions are important decisions. And there's lots of pathways. What Solomon is saying is get to know God and he'll make you wise to know which pathway to follow. You'll understand the world from God's perspective. Because once you go down a particular pathway, you can't undo the past. You can't undo the actions that you did. So if you can't undo the actions, how can we make the decisions right, right from the start? It's important to choose the right path. I don't know if you've uh, ever experienced when you know somebody so well, it could be a husband, wife, somebody in your family, even a workmate, you start to understand how they think. Sometimes you can even finish off their sentences. Sometimes you see it in twins. They can finish off each other's sentences because they know each other so well, they think the same, uh, and it plays out all the time. This is what's going on that Solomon's trying to explain. If you draw near to God, you'll start uh, seeing him, understanding. He'll reveal himself to you. You can see the world differently. And all of a sudden, your choices, when you get to those crossroads, your choices are God's choices. Because you know what God wants you to do. In Romans, in the New Testament, Romans 12, it explains it like this. It just gives background, I think, that's helpful to these few verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What's going on there? He's talking about handing yourself over to God, your whole self. I'm not just going to be God for God a little bit. He's not going to just be a part of my life. I'm going to hand my whole self over to God. But then what happens? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Even though we live here, if we hand ourselves over to God, we're starting to think like God with the renewing of our mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. He's saying the same thing, isn't it? 
You draw near to God, you hand yourself over to him, and when you know him, you gain his wisdom. When you get to those crossroads in life, what path am I going to take? You understand which way God wants you, what way he's leading you. So it's, not, it's very different to just knowing about God. Lots of people know about God. They might have a Bible. They might even read it every now and again. might even come to church. It's more than knowing about God. It's knowing God himself, having a relationship with your creator, having that connection like the, the world's strictest parents, having that connection where you sit down and have the conversation. God says, I know. I know what you're going through. I understand. We have a relationship with God. That's when your character is shaped. That's when your character is shaped. It's not about just coming out the end, I look like a Christian because I'm doing all the rules and regulations, but it's the relationship with God that matters. And that flows out to the decisions we make and how we look. Here's some examples if you need that. What does this look like in real life? That's the relationship with God because God knows the world. He knows how it works. We need to draw near to him. Now, here's what it's like because God knows you. And that's a scary thought because he knows exactly what you're thinking. Uh, I said before, Proverbs is very practical and we're only up to chapter 2 and he's already talking about girls. Uh, Specifically, if you picked it up in the Bible reading, he's talking about sex outside of marriage. Interesting first application point in Proverbs, isn't it? But he kind of knows what we're all thinking, kind of knows what things we struggle with. Here's a crossroads in life, and it revolves around sex, and we all uh, have to face that point. You get the feeling you're all looking at me innocently, like this has never crossed your mind, it's just me. Uh, I thought that might be the case, so I actually looked up. How often do people think about sex? A BBC recently... uh, talked about a survey that was done of 280 people and revealed that men think about sex how many times a day? 14 times a day. It actually got them clickers. Every time you just make a click and they accumulate them all. Averaged out 14 times a day. And before you think men must be all sex addicts because they think about sex so much, I can tell you the survey also revealed that more than sex, men thought about food and sleep. So men are probably more fat, lazy sex addicts. I'm not sure what that proves, except for it's something they think about. And women, you're not let off the hook. Women think about sex 10 times a day. It's something that must be before kids, I'm sure, because I know, anyway. (laughs) It's an issue. It's an issue, isn't it? We all think of it. It's all around us. We're all confronted by it. Where Solomon says this is wisdom from God. How does God fit into that? Verse 16 He says, wisdom, it will save you also from the adulteress. He sets up a scene. From the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left her partner of youth and ignoring the covenant she made before God. A couple of things we need to notice here, what he's really trying to make clear. He is talking about sex outside of marriage. Okay, he's talked about actually in these just couple of verses, he's actually upheld how good marriage is. But this is outside of marriage. This is very, very different. Uh, so we need to establish this. Is, he's talking about you'll be confronted with sex outside of uh, your, your marriage partner. The second thing is it's a real scenario, isn't it? He's not talking hypothetical, but this could really happen. But in this scenario, he's talking to his son, so he's talking about the adulterous woman. But it could easily be the other way around, isn't it? If Solomon was talking to his daughters, he'd say you, you could come across a man who's going to seduce you. So what he's saying here is not just for young men, but it's for men 
and women. He's not just saying it to singles. This could easily happen to married or singles, couldn't it, that we get confronted by this situation. We're also confronted not just to young people, but to old people as well. Young and old can get confronted by this situation. It's for everybody here to know, to think about, how does God impact us when we're in this kind of situation? So he sets the scene. He says, you know, for, for his young sons, he's saying, look, there's this woman here. She's saying all the right things. She's giving you all the right body language and suggestive movements. She's promising you a good time. So it kind of, let's face it, uh, the idea of sex is having a good time. Of course, we wouldn't do it. And God created it is good. But this is sex outside of marriage. Like, this is the scene. He says, you've got a choice. You're at the crossroads. What are you going to choose? You can choose one path, which is the why not. I mean, why not? It's not going to hurt anybody. It's only going to be once. And, you know, what's the harm in it? Why not go down that path? Or are you going to turn and walk away? It's funny, Jesus talked about the wide road and the narrow road and how hard it is to to follow the narrow road. And this is just an example of it, isn't it? It'd be very easy. Everybody else is doing it. Whole society's not going to judge me for it. They're probably going to laugh and pat me on the back if I go down into the bedroom. But to take the narrow road, to walk away, that's going to take courage. There's something going on there that, that why does God want me to follow the narrow road and walk away? Solomon says... With every choice you make, there's consequences. There's consequences to the road you go down. He goes on the very next verse, in verse 18. He says, For her house leads down to death, and her path leads uh, her path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. What's he saying here? It doesn't mean literally if you have sex outside of marriage, God's going to strike you down. You will die. Uh, I'm sure it might have happened once or twice, but um, it doesn't normally happen that way. But what he is saying is asking a question about if you go down that path, what is that saying about your character? What is that saying about who you are? Do you fear God? Do you trust in his wisdom? It's a character thing, isn't it? What's going on on the inside? If you sleep with the adulterer, what are you saying in your relationship with God, your connection with God? What are you saying to him? Stuff you, I know better. So I'm going to go down this path. As far as relationship goes, you've turned your back on God. And your actions demonstrate you've got no fear for God, no understanding his ways, no wisdom, and that you are far from God. That's the point. And you go down the path of death and destruction. But God said, and we heard it earlier, God says, go down my path and I'll be your shield. God says, I'll be guarding your path. I'll protect your way. I will steer you on every good path, he says, if we trust him. See, it's not about being good. If it was all about... Uh, just being good, rules make you a Christian, you could walk away, but still not have a relationship with God. But it's the relationship with God makes you think, God, I want to make wise decisions and follow you. I'm going to trust you. And the answer is seen, are you trusting God? Are you fearing God with the decisions you make? You can say anything you want, but your actions, your actions are going to answer louder than words. 
That's the whole sex side of it. What about money? Because that's a burning question on the boys' hearts as well. How do we get money? Solomon's going to show that the importance of knowing God is important too in how you deal with your money. So we pick it up in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 5, where he starts off by saying, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Excuse me. So he's not saying here, when you think about the words, it's easy to think that God is saying that uh, really this Christian faith is really a non-intellectual thing. Don't think about it, just trust God and do it. But he's not saying that at all. He's actually saying the opposite. Think about the decisions you make. Think about the crossroads and the paths you take. But know that if you draw near to God, you know the mind of God. And to you make wise choices when God's a part of that decision. Because, because he's creator of the universe. He controls all things. Here's how it looks at, with money. That's the first application point out of this bit. His advice is, verse 9, Honour the Lord with all your heart, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now just in this verse, uh, some people might see that as a tithe uh, or uh, what the farmer does, give his first crop tithes, like giving 10% of your income, the first 10% to God. It's something that God's people have been doing throughout generations, even back in Solomon's day, that that's what they did. And you go, 10%, that's a lot. And yet it is a lot. And yet it is designed to, to hurt in a way that, that makes you appeal to God to resolve this situation. Imagine the farmer. The farmer's got his crop, his, his, his field, he goes up, he ploughs the ground, he puts the seed in, he works hard for his crop. Finally sees the rains come and the plants grow up, he, he weeds all his garden, gets rid of as many pests as he can, and he finally sees the fruit come onto his trees. And he finally sees that fruit develop to harvest time. Now the first part of the harvest, because harvest can run a month or more, the first part of the harvest is the most valuable because you've got it in your hand. It's money in the bank, in a sense. Because that first part of the harvest is done, you can cash it in. Tomorrow, what about the rest of the harvest? Well, it could hail, uh, disease could come in, pests could come in. You could lose the rest of the crop. So your first harvest, your first fruits, they're precious. You've already got them in. But what Solomon's saying, give them over to God, your first fruit, your most valuable. Why does he say that? Saying trust God, because you're in this relationship with God, he's the God of the universe, you're trusting him, God, even with your money, he's saying, and then he's going on to say, you will be blessed. If you do these things, you will be blessed, but it might not be the way you think that you'll be blessed. Have a look at the very next verse. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats be brimmed over with new wine couple of things about this first is we need to understand proverbs is not a book of promises it's not god promises to do these things for you but solomon's talking about observations sometimes this happens solomon says i've i've given my tithe my 10 percent. i've given him my first fruits and god's filled my barns he's 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 made me prosper that can happen but the reason i say that's not always going to happen is because you keep reading this is what we need to look at context is all about God gives us teaching lessons. 
Uh, He says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. In the context of this reading, that means sometimes your barns aren't going to be full. Sometimes the crops will fail. But God's got something bigger in mind. He's trying to teach you a lesson. And if he loves you, you want him to teach you a lesson. And he loves you so much. He will get your attention. He will try and teach you a lesson. He will try and bless you. Some, for some people, that means make, helping them prosper. That through prospering, their barns are full and their wine vats are full. That, that they're going to learn, you know, God is good. But other times, if you lose everything, sometimes it's an even more valuable lesson to say, God, I've lost everything. All I have left is you. A great lesson to learn. God's going to do different things to teach you a lesson. But he's going to bless you through this. What is the blessing that we look for? It's not prosperity. Blessing's not poverty either. They're teaching lessons. The blessing is, verse 13, blessed is the man who finds wisdom the man who gains understanding. For she, the wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields more returns than gold. See, blessed isn't the wealth. Being blessed is understanding. Blessed is the fear of the Lord. Blessed is drawing near to him, relying on him, knowing his ways, finding wisdom to walk with him. It's seeing the world through God's perspective, isn't it? That's what being blessed is. Sometimes you'll prosper. Sometimes you'll have poverty. God will do whatever it takes because the lesson is so important that even we can learn it through our finances, through money. But isn't it interesting as we see things through God's eyes? The world says 10% of giving away, particularly for the work of God, that's a poor investment. You're going to get very little returns on that one. You're wasting your time. But God says best 10% you've ever spent, you're going to learn so much through this exercise to trust me, to walk with me, to see the way I provide. Sometimes it'll be prosperity, sometimes it'll be poverty. But God's great through all that because he loves us and he wants to teach us these lessons. Isn't it interesting, whether we're talking about sex, whether we're talking about money, it'd be easy to come up here and be the religious, legalist type of person don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't be unwise with your money. You must give 10% or you're going to hell. I mean, it's been done in the past and I think for a lot of people, that's what their view of Christianity is. It's all about rules. I've got to do this. I can't do that. I'll go to hell. My, action, my, my, my good's got to outweigh the bad. But we're missing that middle bit of the story, aren't we? The middle bit's all about relationship, drawing near to God, knowing him, That's what God says in his word. It's all about relationship, being near the creator. Fear the Lord, but trust him. And that'll make life make more sense. It shapes our character. It shapes the choices we make when we're at those crossroads. Which way are you going to go? Can I trust God or just go my own way? Now, I'm going to tell you up front, it's hard to choose the narrow road because the rest of the world's going, go this way with your sexuality, go this way with your wealth and prosperity. God says, no, choose the narrow road, choose my way. And that's hard. But knowing that we make mistakes, God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows that we don't like handing over control to him. But we need to know that he still loves us. 
See, despite all this, God shows his love to you. We see this through Jesus. When the world's choosing their own way in life, uh, when Jesus comes, they're all the world's in chaos as it is today. God himself came down through his son Jesus into humanity to show people they're going the wrong path. And here's the path to find a relationship with the Father God. And he tells this amazing story through the, what we know as the prodigal son to show us what the Father God is really like. Now, knowing what we know from down with Solomon and his boys, it actually fills out a bit more of the story of the prodigal son. Uh, we find this in Luke 15. Where the father, Jesus is born into a Jewish culture, he's teaching to a Jewish crowd, and he talks about a man had two sons. It's just the assumption, he's a good Jewish man with two Jewish boys. And as a good Jewish man, he's going to sit down with his boys and read the book of Proverbs. They had the book of Proverbs back then, chapter 1, chapter 2. Here's about wisdom, fear the Lord. Here's about sexuality, chapter 3. Here's about money. Are you listening, boys? Are you paying attention? That's what it's all about. But then one day the boy says, actually, I want out of here. I don't want this relationship. I want to have what's owing to me now. I want to take my inheritance now and live life my way. What's he saying to his dad about his dad's relationship? You're as good as dead to me. There is no relationship. Give me my inheritance. Give me my money and let me do it as I please. And the father does. And what's the path the child chooses? Exactly what Solomon's warning us about. We're told that he goes out and blows his money on prostitutes. So he's living the high life sexually. He's going blowing his money on his uh, newfound friends who are there just for his money. But when his money dries up, his friends are all gone. Through different circumstances and with no money, he can't get a job that pays enough to feed himself because there's poverty in the area. We could say through wealth and poverty, God's teaching him a lesson through, through this experience. God uses all things to teach the ones he loves. He obviously loves this boy because the boy learns his lesson. Actually, says in the story, he turns around. He says, what am I doing here? Kind of, what am I doing going down this path? I need to turn around. It says he turns and headed towards home. He says, I don't take a different path. And he heads back towards his father. The question you've got to ask is what response is he going to get when he gets back to his father? Is it going to be, look, this kid, if there's no relationship, this kid has no morals, he's bad, he's told me off, I'm good as dead, why should I let him? You've blown it. You're not worthy to be in my household. You're not to return again. Could have easily said that. He could have said, actually, I've seen, you've got bad morals. You start proving yourself by being a good person and then I might take you back. But he doesn't. We're told the father sees the son walking from a long way off, like the father's been looking for his son for a long time. He runs down the road, puts his arms around him and kisses his son. His son whose uh, clothes are torn, his shoes are worn out, we're told. He just looks a mess. So the father wants to restore him to the family. So he gets the new robe, gets the shoes for his feet, the family ring for his finger, kills the fatted calf. Why is the dad so happy to have his rebel son home? He says, this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He's gone down the path of death, but it's not too late. He's turned and found the path of life. <coughs> 
I mean, I tell you that story because I know a lot of us have been in situations where we've made mistakes. We've gone down paths we might regret. We can't undo the things we've said or done. Might have hurt people in the past or been hurt before. Sexually, we might have done things we can't undo. That can leave a lot of hurt for us or hurt for others. But God, the Father of the universe, your creator, says still come near. Come near, come home. With our money, it's easy for us to chase greed, chase our, chase our pleasures, chase our stuff. Instead of chasing wisdom and chasing God first, we've chased our wealth. God's saying, come to me. I know you've made bad choices, but come to me. So through Jesus, God reaches out to us. That's the connection point. That's the centre of the story where Jesus says, I know what you're going through. I've been hurt by people before. I've been physically abused by people before. I've been, had friends chase after a bag full of money and dob me in to be arrested. They're my friends and they've chased wealth over their friendship with me. Jesus says, I know what you're going through, but you need to come home. The Father wants you to come home to turn away from the path of death and turn to him and find life again. There's things going on in all of our lives and all differently for all situations. My encouragement to you this morning is come to God, pray to him. Say, look, this is what's going on. You know what's going on. But I need you. I need to draw near to you. And I need to start doing that today. How about we pray? Dear Father, we thank you for your amazing love to us. We thank you that you're such a great and awesome God that you know us you know our bad side and our good side, but you know our bad dominates us. You know we make poor choices, whether it's sexuality, whether it's money, whether it's just life priorities in general. But Lord, we just thank you for your love and your grace is bigger than our mistakes. So Lord, I pray that today it might be a reminder and a refresher for us how important it is to draw near to you, that you don't want us to be just doing rules and trying to be religious but you want us to draw near to you to know your mind to understand the world and to give glory to you so lord we pray that this might be the start of an exciting journey for us as we draw near to you as we immerse ourselves in your word that your spirit fills us that you help us to understand who you are that we fear the lord that you are the lord over all creation but know that you are one we can come to, that you're a good God and you welcome us home. Lord, that journey is going to be different for each of us. And Lord, I pray for quiet times that we can reflect on that and bring our hurts and our burdens to you so that we can move on, be forgiven, Lord, so we might be healed and go on that pathway of life. So, Lord, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts. Work on us as a church, Lord, that we not just be fake pretenders on the outside, but, Lord, people who are alive in the spirit for you. Lord, use us to show your love to, to a world that is going down a path of death. And we pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Yeah.